0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn to Matthew 14, if you would, and then uh, it will take some of you a while to find Haggai, so I'm giving you about 30 minutes advance here because we'll be there at the end of the message Haggai chapter 1 and uh, two or three books from the end of the Old Testament but we won't be there for a little while. Matthew chapter 14. Uh, missions and a missions revival has so many facets to it. You can preach missions understand Brother Humbert preached on prayer last year um, and and then there's there's so many facets. There's the missions aspect of trying to reach others and have a desire for souls, there's the giving, the stewardship, the commitment, giving of lives, giving of money. There's so many parts to that and, and so every, probably every preacher or pastor is going to have a different uh, approach or impact coming into that and that's certainly going to be true this week and that I simply want to preach some messages that has helped build uh, the culture at, at Bible Baptist Church and, and things that, that have been a help to us and, and that I know have been preached here that has been a help to you as well. And, and so uh, probably a number of things that will uh, attack missions from a different part or giving from a different aspect. And one of the things that, that I'm going to deal with often this week would be a little bit of a, it, it's going to sound strange as a beginning because it's almost a neurological point. But it's vitally important, I'm convinced, and and that is a a thought that you didn't come onto the property of Eastside tonight, and as soon as you pulled onto the property, you flipped something in your switch and you changed brains. You, You don't have a church brain and a work brain. You don't have a secular brain and a spiritual brain. When you come into church on a Wednesday night for a missions revival, or you come to church every Sunday, you don't pull onto the property or come into the doors, and now you have a a different brain that operates different because now you're talking about spiritual things. God designed us to have one brain. And the brain that you have trained Monday through Saturday is the one you bring to church on Sunday. And and the brain that is molded at your job throughout the week is the one that you bring to missions revival. The brain whose pathways are embedded in your thinking and out of which all of your thoughts come and even much of what the emotions that you choose to have or the emotions that you choose to deny All of those come from the exact same brain that is molded and is, shall we say, neurologically is wired together all through the week. It's the same brain. And so you're not going to approach some aspect of missions in a way that is completely separate from the way that you operate the rest of the week because they say the neurons that fire together wire together. And so when you're sitting there watching television, when you are on the internet, when you are observing social media, when you are taking in all the the different influences and the thousands of voices that we hear every day, every one of those leaves its mark on our brain. And those things that fire together the most are the things that our brain, by God's design, wires a pathway that makes it so much easier for everything else to have to follow that same pathway and then if you hear something different at a different time maybe in church and then you're trying to get it to go a completely different pathway God designed our brains to make that somewhat difficult. And so what i want to deal with are some thinking patterns that the scripture reveals to us that many times are formed by monday through saturday that then affect sunday or if we're talking about a missions revival then it is formed by all the other things that we want to spend money on or that we want to give our lives to and, and whether it be secular or spiritual And so this week I'm going to tackle some of those thinking patterns that that basically get established day by day by day by day out of which you are going to make missions decisions from. You're going to decide what to give. You're going to decide how far you're willing to go. You're going to decide how far outside of your family you're willing to be concerned And it comes out of so many different thinking processes that we're going to talk about the underlying thinking process, these foundations of how we have allowed our priorities, our commitments to form in everyday life, out of which all the decisions will be made about missions, whether how much you're going to give, whether you're going to participate in faith promise whether you're willing to surrender your life as these two families have done to go somewhere, that's what we're going to deal with. Let's stand together, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse one. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John, and bound him, and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death... He feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us be open, not just to a direct message about missions, but an awareness of how we think. And sometimes how we can think as wrong as Herod did. And while the implications of his wrong thinking certainly led to such a gruesome story as this and tragic ending for John the Baptist, it has other ramifications for us and yet we are made of the same things he is. And I pray that we would be willing to see what drove his thinking according to the text and see traces and evidence of that thinking in our own minds as formed by the daily things we go through and that we give priority to. And would be willing to isolate that and offer it to you so you could help us think more like you want us to think. And so use this message in whatever way that would be a help to accomplish the primary goal and the ultimate goal that you have for Eastside and therefore for its members through this special week. Lord, I pray we certainly would be true to the song as we were challenged, that you would enable this church to leave Sunday night on ground that is higher and greater. Than it had been on when the week started. So accomplish what you want in their church and in these hearts. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. There were a lot of Herods in the history of the New Testament. You would be familiar with, more familiar with, two of, of them, certainly this being one of them. You had Herod the Great that you would encounter in the early parts of Matthew and then in the Christmas story. He had been declared king of the Jews by the, the Romans, by the Roman Senate, and he loved that title. He was an Edumean, meaning he came from the, the line of Edom, a descendant of Esau from way back there. He had killed all the Sanhedrins early on in his authority, Because they had challenged his authority and so he had them all killed because he was suspicious of them. Suspicion was a problem with him. Therefore he suspected at one time his wife and his sons of coming against him, of trying to undermine his authority. So not only did he have all the the Sanhedrin killed, he had one wife killed and had two sons executed. Later he would exhibit his suspicion by having all the male babies in Bethlehem killed because he had heard of one who might would usurp his kingship, one that had been prophesied and had been born in Bethlehem. And so he had these babies massacred as well. His fourth wife was a Samaritan. Out of this relationship comes Herod the Tetrarch that we're talking about here. But when Herod the Great, the first one that we've talked about, whenever he died, he basically left the the kingdom to his three sons. The first was Herod Archelaus. He was given the southern part of Judea. He had in Samaria, then uh, Herod Archelaus's half-brother Philip, he was given the northern region. And then Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch that we're reading about tonight, he was given Galilee and Perea in a, a separate section. So Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch actually means a fourth. And, and so he was a ruler of a fourth, but it became a general term for a ruler over a province. And so a section that he was given had been referred to as a fourth. He always wanted to be known as king like his father. In fact, he even wanted the titles so bad that he asked the emperor Caligula to give him that title, to grant that to him, to which Caligula refused to give him that title. He ended up not being very powerful and had very little influence. He spent most of his time at the palace in Tiberia, but he also spent time in his father's castle and um, Machiris, as it was called, it was on a very high uh, point around them that actually was higher than Jerusalem. Jerusalem and had a, inspiring views from there and he loved to spend time there. And this this beautiful a countryside that he could look out on. But because Machiris was so tall and the castle was, they had built many dungeons within that went far into the ground and in which they would be very stale cells to hold prisoners in and no natural light. One of these dungeons dug deep into the earth held John the Baptist for over a year's time. As our text opens, some of these facts that I've given you begin to fall into place. That We look at verse 1 again. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves that in him he had heard of the fame of Jesus and he's a little bit haunted because he thinks that maybe this is actually John the Baptist come back from the dead to haunt him or to bother him. His conscience is, is a great concern to him evidently because he thinks that John the Baptist has come back and now he's worried about that. And so knowing that that's what he's thinking then the story backs up and tells us why he might think this is John the Baptist come from the dead. And it tells us how John the Baptist died and gives us an account and reminding us or telling us that Herod was actually responsible for John's death. So that's where the story backs up in verse three. And it says, for Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias's sake, his brother Philip's wife. So the, the Tetrarch had seduced his brother Philip's wife and taken her to be his own. In order for him to do that, he had to put away his own wife, the, the wife that he had at the time, and this ended up being a pretty big problem because the wife that he had was the daughter of King Aretas, and King Aretas was um, um, a ruler over the part of Arabia in which Petra, the, the great city, the, the strong city, was the capital. And, and so Herod had, in, in order to have a truce from the ruler of Aretas, then, then he had made a, a pact with him. And part of that was that he would take the king's daughter to be his own wife. And yet now he is getting rid of this same daughter. And so Aretas is so angry at the way that his daughter has been treated by Herod. Then he comes and destroys most of Herod's army. And Herod would have been totally destroyed had he not petitioned Rome. And Rome intervenes just in time and yet Herod had lost most of the army that he had, which is one of the reasons he ended up not being very powerful. So he had to get rid of his own wife at great cost to have Philip's wife become his own. So now done with his own wife, he obtains Philip's wife, Herodias, and Herod and Herodias had both been married before and according to the law of the land at that particular point in time, then that would be considered doubly unlawful because both of them had been in a prior marriage. They had ended those marriages and now they came together. But worse than that, Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus, another half-brother of Herod's, which makes her his niece. And so this becomes a case of incest according to their law. So this relationship with Herodias is messed up on many levels and several laws that it breaks, the laws of the land of, of the day. And, and so that's what we find out in, in verse 3. Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias's sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him... It is not lawful for thee to have her. So John the Baptist dared come out and speak the truth. You can't do that. That is against the law. And and when John did that, then he put his own, I mean, literally, not really knowing it at the time, but he puts his own neck on the line. And so you find out that evidently Herodias you know, rules the roost there because he does say in verse 3, for Herodias's sake. And so verse 4, John dares to say something. In verse 5, and when he would have put him to death, meaning that Herodias wants him put to death, and so Herod is going to do that. The problem is the people thought that he was a prophet and, and when he took him, it probably was fairly public and the people did not want John the Baptist put to death and, and so they maybe give a threat to Herod. Herod, don't you do that. We believe that he's a prophet and that's what we get that from verse five. He feared the multitude because they counted him a prophet so he didn't put him to death at that point in time. But then comes a special day that we get from verse six but when Herod's birthday was kept the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod and so at, at his birthday party evidently the you know maybe Herodias has kind of has a plan because she wants John the Baptist dead because he spoke out against against this marriage and so it, it seems like she has connived and conspired here to come up with something and, and so she has her daughter dance at Herod's birthday party and Herod loves the, the dance that he sees and it says in verse 7, whereupon, upon this dance, seeing this dance and, and liking what Herodias had planned for him, whereupon, notice this, he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. So Herod loves this dance and, and Herodias' daughter dancing. And so he says to her, oh, listen, that, that was, that's an incredible present. You tell me what you want. And I'm, I am promising you, I will give you whatever it is that you ask. And he promises this according to the text with an oath, which is serious. So verse eight, and she, this is the daughter being before instructed of her mother, said, all right, well, here's what I want. I want John the Baptist's head in a charger. I want you to behead him and give me his head on a platter. That was her request. So, verse 9 You see a a little bit of conscience sink in here and the king was sorry. I mean, evidently, there's something there that he, he doesn't want to kill. John the Baptist, it, it seems like that this whole time Herodias is behind all of this and, and he got out of it the first time because he feared the people and, and maybe he was even able to say to Herodias, all right, listen, if we do this, the people are going to revolt and we don't have a big enough army to fight so we better just give in to this and so somehow he gets out of that but now he ends up making this promise, this oath to Herodias' daughter daughter. And she says, based upon what her mother told her to say, you tell him that you want John the Baptist's head, you want him beheaded. And, and he's sorry. But notice this phrase nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. So, for the oath's sake, well, that's interesting, because we're going to come back to that and really take primarily our thought there. So he commanded it to be given her at the end of verse 9. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. He sends a guard to John's cell. And whatever John's thinking about what his fate may or may not be, the man takes him out of the dungeon, brings them to a place where they're executed. And John's head is laid there, the guillotine and his head is severed from his body because Herodias wanted that, conspired with her daughter. Verse 11, his head was brought on a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. Isn't that a gruesome story? That's that's crazy. Yeah. You, you read that, that this that this could happen. His disciples came, John's disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus, and you think, what kind of man is this? I mean that he that he allows himself to be manipulated to the point that he actually has to see to John 's execution by a beheading and, and it's not even not even just that that he was unlawfully puts his, his wife away and and then takes his brother's wife to be his own. But then he takes John into prison and then at his birthday has this this dance that he loves, makes a promise and then that promise is for John the Baptist's head and he doesn't want to do that. He's sorry that that's going to happen but he ends up honoring that and takes and gives John the Baptist's head to this little girl that danced in front of him and then she gives it to her mother and then the disciples have to come clean up the rest of the mess. What a man. What kind of thinking does it take for a man to do that? I mean, did he have some bad gene in him that makes him so so corrupt and, and something uh, maybe about him that, that he inherited from his father or, or some one of the mothers that he might have had that, that he just has something inside of him that he's just going to he's just going to be one of those people that are so evil from history that do these evil things. And yet, when you read what happens in the story, then you realize the Tetrarch is a human being like the rest of us. And he has a thinking process that says, maybe there's some Tetrarch in all of us, actually. Actually. Maybe the thinking process that here in this man, because he had this authority and because he was subject to the influence of Herodias, maybe all of that 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 he has around him, maybe all that wasn't necessarily the cause, that was just the expression. Maybe there's this thinking process that is in him that if the circumstances are right, it could lead to this horrible, horrible story over here But maybe that same thinking process in somebody that's not in his position, maybe it still leads to some things that maybe they're not that awful. But maybe that same thinking is just in human beings that could be in us that might lead to something. And I I know you think, "What, what on earth... What on earth could that be? But, well, let's look at exactly what has happened here. Why did John the Baptist actually die? What brought him to the point of death? Because the king wanted to get out of this. He says that, that he was sorry, that the king was sorry in verse 9, but it makes this statement, nevertheless, for the oath's sake. And so here, here's Herod, and something inside of him says, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to take John's life. So in some ways, this conscience was pulling in this direction, but guess what was on the other side? Pulling in the other direction. His commitment to this oath. To an oath that, that he had made. I mean, this is, this is not me making it up. It's what the text says. He decides for this oath that I'm going to go ahead and have John the Baptist beheaded and so you, you listen to that and you say, well, I mean, he did make a promise. I mean, he, he's being, isn't he being ethical? Because he promised and he, and he bound himself with an oath. And I mean, we know that people ought to, ought to keep their word. Well, except when you consider one thing. How ethical is he really being when he actually had broken a lot bigger laws? I mean, you've got these laws that he's supposed to uphold and they're the laws of the Romans and the laws of the Jews and the laws of God. And and with those laws in front of him, I mean, he breaks those on multiple accounts and and it's like he, he has no problem breaking these huge laws. But then he makes this personal oath and when it comes time for that one, and he feels bad, but he says, "Oh, oh no! I, I have to keep my oath. Uh, yeah. I promised." Right. But, Herod, what, what about these huge laws? Well, I, I have reasons. You know, that's, that's not that. Big deal, But, I, but I, I did make a promise here and I, I did make this oath and I, I, I don't want to not be a man of my word. Hey, I'm a king after all. A king is supposed to keep his word. Well, a king is supposed to enforce the law. Do you see something messed up here? Am I the, is this, I mean, is this like bad in Oklahoma and okay in South Dakota? Some of y'all are not quite, quite with me here. It, it's a problem in his thinking. That it's like, it's like I, I have to keep this oath but I have no problem breaking a law and you look at that and you realize man there's just something that is, that is really off in him that leads to John the Baptist being killed and yet as I proposed a little bit earlier this actually is not that unusual of a thinking for human beings this isn't just a Herod issue, because in this case, when it came to God's laws, there was room for compromise and explanation and toleration and some patience. But concerning his own desires, the oath, the oath, and the promise that came out of his own desire, he felt like I have to keep those at all cost. And sometimes In our human thinking, we develop uh, some mindset that applies a different standard to our oaths versus God's laws. Or that which God has expressed significant importance to, then when we compare that to the things that we have a commitment to. And when you boil it down... The reason Herod ended up beheading John the Baptist was not because John the Baptist told the truth. It wasn't because Herodias made him. It's because he said, even after breaking these laws, I must keep this oath because the text says, for the oath's sake. Now, let me take this down to a really little level that that every parent will understand. Have you ever said something to your kids about doing their chores and you explained it to them. They knew that they were supposed to do them. And yet on an afternoon, a given afternoon, you come back home or you come back into the room a little bit later and you said, you, you didn't get your chores done. Why didn't you do your chores? And they would say something like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. And then a little bit later, they say, oh, mom, I need to go call my friend because I told him last week I would call them this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that convenient? You know, for, for a child, every, every parent has been there. It's like they, they, can re, they can remember something from a week ago that they wanted to do that was their concern, but when it came to something that their parents had actually told them to do, then it's like, You know, I'm I'm just so sorry. I, I forgot about that. This is obviously bigger than what their friend told them to do. But there is this sense of it's easier to remember this one than it is this one. Or... There's, when it comes time to the, the importance between the two, I mean, this starts really early. This thinking process is not something that you gotta be 40 to understand. I mean, all of us see it in our kids in, in the things that are, are convenient or, or not. Yes. But it really is a thinking process that all of us have a certain amount of and that it might be good at the beginning of a missions revival to see if we could spot some Tetrarch in us. You know, you, you take something like the tithe. And I, and I know this is about missions, but we, we have to start where the scripture starts. And it starts with the tithe. Because, I mean, the tithe is clearly expressed in scripture. You know, I mean, you, you go, you, you say, well, it's just the law. No, it was pre-law. <laughs> It it was before the law, and Abraham paid tithes in Melchizedek before there was ever, you know, before there was ever law, and then, yes, it was law, and and then Jesus even told the Pharisees, "Well yes you you should, you just shouldn't leave these other things undone and then the the, the early church practiced that as well in the, the the first part of the week and and even the teaching of Jesus, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you and so we we, we see the tithe, and we know that the tithe is right and, and, and it's there, and it even it even comes with some ethics that are involved that, that in order you know, in order to enjoy a church like this and a building like this and, and proper heat and air and, and a certain amount of comfort, then you realize, you know, somebody has to pay for that, so it probably ought to be the people that come in and enjoy the benefits. They're the ones who ought to pay some of the costs. I mean, we all, we all would agree with that, right? Exactly, and and back then, you know, it was to fund the temple, and it was to allow for the Levites and the priests, and if you want a, if you want a pastor to pay attention to preaching and help meet people's needs, and, and you want staff to do that, then you realize, okay, that this is important. Yet it's it's interesting that that some people, I mean, there's always people in a church that find a way to ignore it, and to say, eh, we're not to tithe. They find some way to explain it away when, I mean, basically everybody knows it's valid, you know, it, it is right. And, and they, they even explain it away and, you know, they enjoy what everybody else enjoys, but they don't necessarily, you know, they don't pay their part or they don't believe in it. And they wouldn't want their kids doing that at home, but, but they come to church and do that. And, and so even though the, the Bible is pretty clear, then there are people who will... Choose not to do it. But then comes along a house payment. Well, that's my house. I mean, I signed a document. And I mean, I got to have a place to live. And I mean, do you know what they'll do if I don't pay my house payment? I mean, you know, come on, pastor. I mean, tell me, you know, what, what are they going to do? Yeah, I, I mean it, it's true. Um, I mean they're gonna they'll they'll charge me a, a late fee and then eventually they'll they'll throw me out. And there's something interesting that we made a personal oath. Yep. We made a promise, and it's like, well, I can't break that. Right. It's good. In light of, but God said, but my house. Yes, sir. And Amen. I'm, not, I'm basically not even asking you as much as your house payment in, in probably 99% of the cases, right, yeah. just a just tithe so that my house can operate. And then it's we develop a little bit of tetrarch yes, that this is something very significant to God but yet we can justify setting that aside but then we say nevertheless for the oath's sake I have to do this. I'm obligated to that. Or maybe it's even something like increasing faith promise so that you're going you're gonna to hear the burden of these missionaries this week. And you're going you're gonna to realize that, you know, God has prospered you or helped you and blessed you and you want, you know, you're going to be challenged to grow in your faith and, and maybe your pastor's going to challenge you at some point in time and it, it may come up in the preaching or something that these missionaries say or, or some, somebody else might challenge you and you're going to be challenged to increase your faith promise. And you might even be thinking, well, oh, I did that last year or I did that the year before. Or well, I've done that three years in a row and something is going to come up to consider, boy you, you ought to consider increasing your faith promise because we, there are more missionaries that need to be sent and these need to be sent and, and we have others that we have some things that need to be done and, and, and you, you have those that, that you are responsible for now going to the field and, and you have all these responsibilities and, and so it's going to take more and more money and we know that inflation in the United States of America isn't limited just to the United States of America it's worldwide. So missionaries have inflation as well. And so God's people are going to have to realize we sometimes we have to increase our faith promise if God will increase our faith. Yeah. But then there comes, I just, I can't afford it. I, I can't afford an increase. It's just not possible. But then there comes an insurance increase. Right. And Allstate comes along and says, if you want to avoid mayhem like me, then you better pay up. Or I'm going to do to you all those things that happen on those commercials. Well, nobody wants that to happen. I mean, I, I've, I've got, to, I got to cover my stuff. I don't want to lose my stuff. I've I got to pay for that. Or, or Netflix raises their cost or the cable company or the internet provider raises their cost and and for so many people the tetrarch begins to rise up in them yeah, that's right. and it's like well, well of course i have to have internet you know i mean it's you you can't survive without internet these days and i got to have i got to have this level of cell phone and you know we got to have all of these things and and everybody can Push us into an increase, and we might grumble, we might complain, but boy, we just go pay it. And yet that tetrarch can slip in whenever the Holy Spirit says, those missionaries need an increase. Do you think you could do that? Amen. See that this man, that this man only had the opportunity because of the position he was in and the influences around him. He took it way, way out there and it was something ugly and it was something horrible. And, but we can get the idea that, well, well, he's a totally different person than us. No, he isn't. It's just the stakes were higher from the sense of John the Baptist's life. We're, we're talking missionaries. This is not just money. It can happen with time. How many, how many ball teams say, if you want to play? You got to practice. You got to be here this particular night, and you got to got to be there with your buds, and you got to be ready to go. And, and And it's interesting that uh, you know somebody that doesn't quite feel as good as they want, or or their you know their nose is running, or the you know maybe got some little bit of issues here. But well, I got to be there because my team needs me, and I I have to make it because they're counting on me. and And yet, when it comes to God's house and eternal brothers and sisters who are saying, Okay, could you help with this? Um, man, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't I just don't have enough time in the week. And yet the Tetrarch will be able to say, No, I don't I don't have, I don't have time for for that stuff, but you know, my my team, they they need it. We, we find it a little bit easier to justify that sometimes. And we, sometimes we just don't realize what we're doing. You know, it comes hunting season and hunting season can interfere with the church. And I, 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 don't, I guess it's you know, pretty big up in this part of the, the country too, but it's interesting how often it is that hunting season can interrupt church, but church can't interrupt hunting season. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? It's like, boy, that, I, I got to get my, my buck or, or whatever it is you, that you, you hunt for. Or I got to get my jackrabbit or I don't know what it is, a jackalope or whatever those things are. I got to have my catch for the, you know, for the year and I got to do that and that's important. But then, man, when, when church has something come along in its season, then it, it's not, I've made a commitment you know, over here. Right. School can get a commitment from us. That church can't. And it's like, well, I have, I have homework. I can't read my Bible. I just don't have time. I don't have time to, to do this. Or, or the weather gets bad. And it's like, you know, that weather gets bad. And I, I can I can make it to Walmart. You know, that I have to go to Walmart. I mean, I have to have food. And yet, I can't go to church to get spiritual food. I mean, you get the idea? Amen. I realize... I realize these aren't really all that that, that enjoyable to talk about, but we need, this, we need this exposed in us so that we don't become like somebody that we despised when we were reading it in him. And then realize, but we're susceptible to it, and we don't, I don't think we really want to be. Certainly, jobs do this for us. They say, we need you to work some overtime. Okay. Yeah, I'm there. I'll be glad to. And in part because there might be some pay there. And Then maybe your pastor or church leader or somebody says, you know, we need a little overtime at church. Um, it might be that, you know, you know, your pastor tries to be careful about, you know, not just planning this meeting and that meeting and that meeting and that meeting and, and throughout the year. And, and yet I'm sure you have a few special meetings, but I have a feeling that most of it is like, let's just be faithful to Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. And, and then we're going to have some things that, you know, that we do here and there. But that's the meat and potatoes of, of a local church. And then on, the, on these rare occasions, okay, let's have this Thursday, Friday night meeting. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And yet work can do that multiple times. And there's not a whole lot of question for some people. It's like, well, that, that's just given a pass. But then, no, I just, you know, I I can't uh, when it comes to Thursday night and Friday night of of missions revival, even though the need here is so much greater than our own personal finances for a little while. let's, Let's end in Haggai chapter one. Let's go back to Haggai chapter one and we'll finish up here. Haggai chapter one, the prophet is dealing with the people because the work on the house of God has stopped. It's just not moving forward. What God is wanting you know, his house to represent his name and it's just not going very far. It's not doing anything at that particular point in time but he notices something else and he addresses it through the prophet in verse two. He says, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts saying, this people say, the time is not come the time that the Lord's house should be built. So they had in their minds, all right, building God's house, boy, there, there's just, there's too much going on. There, there's danger. You know, we, we just can't get that done. This is not the time for building that house. So verse 3, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. This isn't Herod, this isn't John the Baptist, this is God demonstrating to us through the people, through Haggai speaking to the people that he wants us to be careful that we don't think this way. He says, I want my people to consider their ways because at their time, it was like, okay, we... We have our houses and our own houses. We need to take care of them and we need to protect them and they need to be secure and they need to be built and we have to take care of that. But then when it came time for God's house, it's like, oh no, it's not time for that. And God noticed that. He noticed that in his people, that the things that he cared about the most and that he said, this is vitally, vitally important. As a matter of fact, it's key to everything else. He said, why is it that the things that are so important to me, they don't really get that much attention. They can be dismissed fairly easily, but the things that matter to you, they get the biggest priority. And he just sent a prophet and said, listen, pay attention to whether you're doing that or not. And maybe he would just use his word tonight to say to East Side, you know, as we get into the week and we're challenged about this and we're challenged about this and, and we're challenged to go to, to higher ground here and maybe consider increasing our faith here or maybe even giving our lives here or just giving some, some extra time in the week to go across the, the street or to go to the cubicle next door just to be more conscious of people and souls. Maybe that, that as God is making it clear what his heart is and how he wants us to pay attention to his that we might be really sensitive to our own answer of, no, I've got my oaths over here. And then God might just want us to consider our ways. And I would even ask you at invitation time in just a minute, would you be willing to submit to the Lord, say, Lord, would you you use your Holy Spirit, not just tonight, but tomorrow night, and Friday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night. Would you dispense your Holy Spirit to reveal to me yeah. if I start thinking that way? Yes, sir. Would you ask God to reveal the Tetrarch in you? Yes. In case there's a little bit that comes out this week. And just take some time and say, I Lord, I don't want to I don't want to be that way. I just, just want to end with the greater yes here. Because it sounds like, well, that just sounds kind of negative. But look, look at verse 6. And then we're going to close. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. You, know, you say, well, that sounds negative too. It's not really. All he's saying is when you... When you consider what I believe to be and what God determines to be the most important, when you put that first, it is amazing. Just like he said about the tithe in Malachi, he says, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. And when you put mine first, I'm going to take care of so many other things. You're not going to have to worry as much about this oath because I'm going to take care of it because I'm God. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And, and I can keep, I can put the devourer away. And I can take care of all of these things here if you will just focus on me. And the alternative is what is revealed in Herod and through guy that if we're not careful, we say, no, I, I, can't, I can't mind yours because I've got to take care of all this. And then God says, do you really want to be responsible for taking care of all that? When I will take care of it for you, just seek me first and put me first. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads. In just a moment, in a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to have a few verses of invitation. Would you be willing to just make it clear? Lord, I really want you to reveal that to me this week. I'm not even even saying pray if you think it's there. I'm just saying, would you pray and ask God to make you extra sensitive to the Tetrarch in you? Regardless of how it might be, how it might be evidenced in your life, it's not gonna be like it was in Herod. But it could be this week when it comes to missions. Father, I pray that you would help us to be extra sensitive to your Holy Spirit and the thought processes that invade us sometimes and the, the mind, the brain that we have developed to think like this. That's the brain that we bring in. And we don't want to treat your house like that. Lord, I pray that you would reveal our thinking so that if you want to do something, you want to say something that would be Special that would be above what we thought, that we would be willing to see if we're really honest to you that we want to keep what you want us to do and not just our personal oaths. Lord, do what you desire to do in this church and in these members this very week. Would you be honored and glorified by every response tonight? I pray in Christ's name. Amen.